Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Please read along with me uh, on the screens or with your Bible. Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it on the lake, while the, all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them with many par by the parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been with you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they may turn and be forgiven. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you be able to understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, whose seed where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown to them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they fall away quickly. Still others, like the seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness and wealth of the desires of others, things that come in choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. May God bless the reading of this world. word. Please be seated. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to you to worship, we pray that your word would be effective. Father, as we have heard your word read and we have sung your word, we have prayed your word and we're responding to your word, we see in your word the words of life. So Father, this morning I pray that the words of life would become alive to our ears as we listen and to our eyes as we see. And Father, I pray that your word would become not only the words of life, but the words of eternal life, the words that grant repentance to sinners and faith to those who would believe. And Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to be those that are mindful of our sinfulness, that we are morally corrupt, and that we have broken your righteous law. And Father, help us not to stand merely condemned in the knowledge of our sin but help us also to become alive unto eternal life. Grant us faith that we would believe that you have dealt with our sin through your son Jesus, that we can have forgiveness and pardon because Jesus took the wrath that we deserved 
took the punishment upon himself and gave us the full pardon and assurance of pardon through his finished work on the cross. So, Father, I pray that the word of life would be words of eternal life and that they would be the words that bear much fruit in our lives and others. So, God, plant your word, plant Christ himself deeply in our hearts. And I pray that Christ would bear much fruit, not only for us as individuals, but that he would bear much fruit in our church and in our community as we see your kingdom come. So, Father, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, as Pastor Jerry is away on vacation and enjoying some much-needed rest, I am standing in and taking us to the Gospel of Mark. So we're taking a break for this Sunday and next Sunday from Genesis, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. And one of the reasons I want to take us to the New Testament and to consider Mark 4 is to help us put into context the ministry that God has called us to do as Milton Community Church. You see, our ministry is much bigger than any one of us on, on working independently, but our ministry depends on all of us working together. As we have this ministry called the local church, God has given us a large assignment of spreading his word. And as we go to spread his word, we will find mixed results. Jesus himself, as he came to earth, the son of God, who spoke the very words of God, also had mixed results as he went around traveling, sharing the good news of the gospel and kingdom. As we're here this morning, gathered to worship, we have with us today our boys and girls, so you'll hear them as they're listening to God's word this morning. And be encouraged that God is reproducing in the lives of our families, but also hear those young voices and those cries and those other noises as reminders that God wants to reproduce in the family of God as well. That he wants to give new birth to sinners and he wants to bring new believers into his kingdom. So as we look at this passage that Eric has just read for us in, Math, in Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus' first parable as he's out teaching the multitudes. And this parable is rather simple on the surface because it presents a very simple fact of nature that God has created an order to how plants grow and reproduce. I'm not a horticulturalist, even though I practice saying that word for you. And I am not a farmer, even though I was raised in a family of farmers. My dad and my mom were the first generation to come off of the farm. So I don't want to pretend to you to be a botanist or some expert about biology. But instead, I want you to see the simplicity of this illustration. What's remarkable is Jesus is teaching here in, among the multitudes as he's gathered a crowd so large that he asked the disciples to reserve a boat. And they pulled off the shore in the boat, and the multitudes stuck with them and listened. And what's incredible is what he was teaching were parables like this about the farmer and the seed. Not exactly a riveting speech that would draw crowds and hold their attention. And yet, because Jesus was so powerful in word and deed, the multitudes hung on every word that he said. If I had announced to you earlier this week that we would have someone from 
your favorite university come and lecture us on raising plants, we probably would have had a thinner crowd than normal. But here Jesus has come. People are eager to know what he is saying, and they're hanging on his every word as he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. You see, this is the introductory parable to God's kingdom, and God wants his disciples to understand what he was doing through the ministry of Jesus and how that ministry would impact other people and ultimately bring about the kingdom of God on earth. Well, as we read a parable like this, we could be struck as that is so distant from our experience. As I said, my family came off of the farm and moved into the suburban setting. And the only thing I have to do with farming is occasionally raising some plants and seeing what they will do out of curiosity, not out of necessity. Well, because we live in this removed time, we may think that this parable has little to do with us. But I want you to see this morning that this parable shows us a lot because it shows us what it is to plant Christ and to see Christians grow. We all know that we live in an age of instant gratification, and we hear comments and commentary and critical remarks about technology all the time. The promise of technology for our society is that it would somehow make us more efficient, and the research is stacking up year after year, showing us that maybe we get some efficiencies, but what we lose is engagement. We lose engagement. In fact, we could say we have far more interactions than we've ever had in our lives or in human history, and yet we have much less intimacy than any other generations before us. That cultural influence of instant gratification, of efficiency, and of interactions has a way of trickling through every part of our lives. All of us want immediate results for what we do. In fact, some of you work in businesses where those results are measured weekly by your sales performance, or monthly by the numbers, or quarterly by the financial reports. All of us want more efficiency. We wish we could squeeze more into less. If we could just take on one more activity, one more responsibility, one more, one more, one more. And no doubt, all of us are trying to interact in every possible way. It's almost mind-numbing to think of the number of apps you can have on your phone, the number of channels of communication for people to get a hold of you. And yet, behind all of our gratification and our efficiency and our interactions is a longing and a desire for intimacy. We feel lonely. We feel unknown. And we feel lost in this chaotic world. The believers and the followers and even the crowds in the first century faced similar tensions. They didn't have devices that they held in their hands and screens to occupy their eyes, but they also were human. And they were not primitive humans. They were fully intelligent, developed people just as we are with different technology and different opportunities, even different temptations and snares. But they too wanted instant gratification because the crowd was gathering around Jesus. Beginning in chapter number three, we saw Jesus as he's traveling and speaking near the sea. The crowds were so thick that he told his disciples, 
reserve a boat for me so that we can withdraw from this group of people, this massive throng that was coming around him. They were also a kind of people that wanted efficiency. As Jesus was talking about this parable of farming, there's no doubt that there were people looking for more productive ways to produce crops, to feed more and more people. And they were also people looking for interactions. They wanted to know where things were happening, who was the most influential person, who should they align their loyalty to, who should they be following and listening. And the people of the first century were also lacking in intimacy, just as we are. They were wondering where they fit in, how they fit with their family, how they fit at work, how they fit at school, how they fit in their church, how they fit in with people. These are problems and tendencies that are endemic to humanity. And Jesus, in his first parable, is going to address these issues as he goes through and shows the people that would listen what his kingdom is actually all about. You see, the parable of the sower, Jesus' first parable, is where he's presenting the key to his other parables. And it is here that he explains the different ways that people respond to his teaching about himself. Jesus is teaching everyone everywhere, all along the way, anyone who will listen to him, but only some people will receive the word of life that leads to repentance and faith. So what is this teaching that Jesus offers? Well, as the crowd is gathered in verses one and two, he's sitting or standing on a boat and he's addressing the multitudes. And he says in verse number three, listen, he's already got everyone's attention because the crowd is gathered They've thronged closely to him, and he has pulled away to a boat and picture the scene of a large group of people along the shore and a small boat just on the water's edge where Jesus is addressing the crowd. He's commanding their attention, and they're hanging on every word that he says. And those words are remarkable in their simplicity, because after getting their attention, He doesn't start with an incredible video that rivets their attention and makes them say, wow. He doesn't tell a a funny story or a joke that has the crowd kneeled over in laughter. Instead, he says, a farmer sowed some seed. That is the most boring introduction that you could possibly conceive. And yet Jesus has them hanging on his very words. A farmer went out to sow a seed, something that they probably saw every day and thought nothing of because it was so ordinary. It would be as if we said someone went to the grocery store. Now, granted, that's changing the image, but it's so ordinary that they would think nothing of it. And Jesus is going to take this common occurrence and turn it on its head so that they see it differently. As the farmer went and sowed seed, Jesus said, he scattered the seed, and the seed would fall upon different places. So here we have an earthly farmer scattering some seeds in four different kinds of reception. The first seed, it says, fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. As Jesus is telling this parable, he's giving us a picture of heavenly truth through an earthly metaphor. As we look at this, we don't have to break apart every word and find the symbolism in it because that would become an allegory, 
But instead, as we look at the parable, we want to see the key truth. And the key truth here that he's going to show is the different kinds of seed or the different kinds of reception to the seed. The first being that some fell along the path. Some people have made much ado about this farmer and his indiscriminate sowing of seed. Others have been harsh and said that he sowed seed poorly. Who on earth would sow valuable seed on a path? And yet that misses the point. The point is, Jesus is simply saying there's a farmer with plenty of seed to plant his crops, and he's throwing the seed, and the seed will find different reception. Well, some is going to fall upon this hard-trodden path where it will not grow, and in fact, he says, birds will come and snatch it away. Other seed, he says, is going to fall on rocky places where there's not a lot of soil. Now, don't picture here a yard with gravel in it. Instead, picture a stone that has a little bit of dirt or debris where seed may grow on top of the stone. It's a very shallow soil, if soil at all. It's more organic matter than it is soil, and it springs up quickly, but then it will fade away because it's rootless. Then there's a third kind of seed that says falls among the thorns. This is a seed that finds ground that could be fertile, but the ground is so fertile that other things are growing alongside the good seed, and those things eventually choke it out so that it dies and does not bear fruit. The fourth kind of ground is the good soil where the seed is thrown, and the seed falls there and it multiplies. It takes root. It produces a crop. And it multiplies bountifully, he says, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times. There are some commentators who've taken that to say, well, that means there are different kinds of fruit and different kinds of effectiveness. But I think all you should gather from this is that depending on where the seed fell in the field, different parts of the field have a different yield to the, unto the harvest. The point here is that the seed has been sown and the seed will produce some kind of results. And Jesus is showing this to his disciples because they are a part of this seed that is being sown. They don't understand that yet. He's going to pull them aside privately, he says in verse number nine, and he's going to teach them what this actually means. But the, Jesus wants the disciples to know that his kingdom is like this farmer who sows seed. So Jesus begins to explain this parable to them in verse number 13. So look at it a second time. The first time we see the earthly farmer who's sowing some seed. The second time through, we see a heavenly farmer who's planting the word of Christ. That this is a metaphor for what Jesus himself is doing. Jesus said to them in verse number 13, do you understand what I've just said? I'm not simply giving you a lesson in horticulture. Instead, I'm giving you a lesson in my kingdom and its values. He says in 14, the farmer sows the word. The seed here is not merely something that will produce green biological life. But the seed here is the word of God, the imperishable seed, Peter says, that will produce eternal life. So Jesus explains the parable to them, beginning in verse number 15. He says first that the word falls along the path. There were some people who were like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they heard it, 
Satan comes and takes it away, the word that was sown in them. Matthew expands on this in Matthew 13 and says, those who heard it and did not understand it. In other words, there is a seed that's sown when Christ is offered and people simply do not understand what is being said. It's not that the words are gibberish or that it's a foreign language. It's that they cannot comprehend what the gospel means because they don't accept it for themselves. They may understand it in terms of knowledge or information, but they reject it because it's not personal to them. Satan has blinded their eyes, the Word of God says. They cannot see it. He has stopped their ears and made them deaf. This is like the seed that is thrown on the hard ground. They simply cannot receive it. The soil is not ready. The second kind of soil Jesus lays out here is where the Word of God falls on rocky places. This is where the word of God goes, and people hear it. And verse 16 says they hear it immediately and respond with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus is making the analogy that that rocky stone or that slab of stone where weeds may grow on top are still stone cold. And there is no softness or tenderness. There's no heart of flesh there. Instead, there is a callousness and an inability to respond ultimately, though there may be an immediate emotional response. This is what's confusing to us sometimes because we see people respond to the gospel and we say, wow, this is exciting. And then after a period of time, for some people it's days, weeks, months, others for even years, they ultimately fall away because they were never able to put a root into that stone. Jesus is warning the disciples that there are people who will reject the gospel, but he's also saying here that there are people who simply cannot accept the gospel. The third kind of soil, Jesus says, is where the word will fall among the thorns. The soil here is good soil that is fertile, that plants are growing in this soil. There seems to be no stone obstructing its growth. And yet, there are other plants in the soil, other seeds in the soil that are starting to choke out the good seed. And what are these? He says, still others, verse 18, like the seed among the thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke it out, making it unfruitful. Jesus is saying, disciples, listen carefully. There are people who will hear the word, people who will even give credence to the word and and give lip service to the word. But when life gets difficult and complicated, when there are other pressures and other interests and concerns, ultimately they will let those things that matter less eclipse the word of God. They will settle for what's good instead of what is best. And they will let what is good rob them from what is lasting. This is a convicting thing as Jesus is writing this and the disciples are probably mulling it over and thinking about it. But lest he leave them on the horns of discouragement, he takes them in the last soil here and says, there is the word that falls on good ground. 
the word that will fall on good ground. He says, others, like the seed on the good soil, hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Again, Matthew adds a clarification here. He says they heard the word and they understood it. They were able to not only receive the information of the kingdom, but they understood that the kingdom applied to them and that the good seed, the seed of Christ that had been sown would become effective in their hearts and lives. As we think about this passage, it's very simple on the surface. It's simple because we can relate to the idea of a farmer sowing seeds. We can even understand that Jesus would take that and use it as a picture for how people might respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And as we look at it, there's also a profound profound depth to what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is ultimately saying that it's not merely about an earthly farmer scattering some seeds. It's not only a heavenly farmer planting the word of Christ, but he wants us ultimately to see that planting the word of Christ is what grows Christians. Planting the word of Christ is what grows Christians. In verse number 9, which I passed over 9, 10, and 11, and 12, Jesus called the disciples together privately, and he said, listen to this. You see, Jesus was attracting hundreds of people, if not thousands of people along the seashore and in the mountains and in the towns and around homes, but it was in the intimate setting with his 12 closest disciples that he told them what was really most important. It says in verse number 10, when he was alone with them, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Now, we don't have the question that they asked. We don't know if they asked, why of all things did you start here? You had everyone captive. You could have said anything, and you chose to talk about a farmer. Perhaps they were skeptical. They may have also asked in confusion, Jesus, I thought we were talking about political power, and we were talking about the ascendancy of the Jews, and I thought we were talking about all of these other things, the oppression of the Romans. They could have been merely looking for a political solution. Whatever their questions, they clearly did not understand, so Jesus told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. In other words, the things that people have longed to know for generations about God and his kingdom are here in your presence, and I'm going to tell you what they are. But for anyone outside, they will not understand, and that's why I'm going to tell it to you in parables, because they cannot understand, because it's not been granted unto them. So what is it? Jesus says, He's going to withhold this, verse 12, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting Isaiah in this section. In quoting Isaiah, Jesus is invoking a principle that was at work in Isaiah's day, that was at work in the first century, and is at work today. And that is there are people who listen to God but do not hear his word. There are people who are ten church, who come under the hearing of the gospel, and yet they do not receive it for themselves. And Jesus, in quoting Isaiah, is reminding the first century audience and showing us as well 
that there were people in Jerusalem and Judah in Isaac's, Isaiah's day who had not listened to God. They had not kept his covenant. So they could no longer understand what God was saying to them. Another way of saying this is God had hardened their hearts in the patterns of disobedience that they had established in their lives. Another example of this is Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Pharaoh, who had held God's people in captivity, who God sent Moses and Aaron to confront and say, let my people go. And at first, Pharaoh stood hard against Moses and Aaron and said, no, I will not do that. And Moses records in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Five times it says Pharaoh resisted God. Toward the end of those plagues that came upon Egypt, as Moses and Aaron returned for the sixth through tenth plagues, it says God hardened his heart against Pharaoh. There's a subtle switch. The switch is that at first Pharaoh rejected God, and then the switch is that God confirmed Pharaoh's rejection. That's exactly what Jesus is saying by quoting Isaiah, that Isaiah experienced the same thing, where the people of Israel had rejected God, and God confirmed their rejection and led them away into captivity. Now he's warning the disciples that there are those in their presence who will hear God's very words, and they will reject it, and God will confirm their rejection. Think right among the twelve, the disciples who were closest to Jesus. There's Judas Iscariot, who traveled with Jesus everywhere the other disciples went, heard every sermon that he ever delivered, even got the inside access to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his explanation of his sermons, and able to ask any questions that he wanted. And yet Judas hardened his heart against God, and God hardened his heart against Judas. As Jesus is teaching the disciples, this parable becomes something that on one level is simple, but on another level is very profound, because it's showing us that when you plant the Word of God, there are really only two reactions to it. When you plant the Word of God, there are really only two reactions. One is a reaction that repels it and resists it, and says, that's fine for you. I understand, but I don't need that in my life. Or maybe someday later, when circumstances change, or people reject it for all kinds of other reasons, but then there are those who humbly receive it. So as we think about this parable, let's reconsider these four kinds of soil very simply in the context of the first century and bring it forward to our own. The first was the hard heart on the path that rejects the gospel. The first was the hard heart on the path that rejects the gospel. I've said throughout this sermon that there were large crowds following Jesus, eager to hear his teaching, desperate to see his miracles, wanting a miracle for themselves. And yet, as those crowds followed Jesus, they did not become into converts. Instead, they were simply curiosity seekers. They were simply curiosity seekers. The majority of the people heard Jesus, but they failed to understand what he was teaching. They completely missed it. Their hearts were hard. They had rejected the gospel. They were ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never hearing. Satan had blinded their eyes, Isaiah goes on to say, 
and he had stopped their ears so that they could not hear. This means there are many people that will hear the gospel, but they will fail to understand its significance for eternal life. As a church, that means we must be faithful to declare the gospel and to invite all people that would believe it to respond in repentance and faith. But we can also be realistic to know that not everyone will. That doesn't invalidate the message that some people reject it. It actually shows that the person has rejected it. The seed itself is a quality seed. It is the seed of Christ, but it is the heart that is deceitful and wicked above all. Who can know it? As we think about our ministry, we have been given a ministry that is challenging because we're ministering in post-modern times when people reject truth and they resist God and they hate religion. And yet, this is nothing new. We may have particular details that have changed in our culture, in our context, but there were still people in the first century that would have said the same kinds of things. They followed Jesus because they thought maybe he had something different, something that would appeal to their desires, that would make them feel more fulfilled or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, they rejected the message because it just didn't make sense for them. So the hard heart on the path rejects the gospel. They may hear it, but they say, no thanks, or they may even say, I don't even want to hear it. I don't need to go there because I'm okay. I've got other things that will take care of me. Well, then there's the second soil, and that is the shallow heart on the rocky ground that abandons the gospel. The shallow heart on the rocky ground that abandons the gospel. You see, the people on the rocky ground make an immediate emotional response when they hear something. Perhaps this is the person that makes an impulsive purchase because they just had to have that item that they just heard of for the first time in their life. And maybe the same is true in the gospel, that they come to a church service or an evangelistic outreach, or they come into your home, and they're so excited about this news, and they make a quick decision, but they don't count the cost. They don't realize that that exciting new toy or device that they, that they just bought also includes a subscription that's going to keep dinging them month after month until they finally figure out the fine print of how to cancel that. The same is true of the gospel, that the gospel is something that you can respond to in simplicity, but there's a subscription that comes due because you have to give your life to it over and over again as a willing sacrifice, the Apostle Paul says. The word joy here seems to indicate that this was an immediate emotional response, but not a lasting one, not a lasting one at all. In fact, they may have been caught up in the moment, but they did not get carried away for life because it says when they actually did count the cost, there was no root there. The same sun that burned brightly at the beginning was the same sun that burned them to a crisp in the end. They could not take the heat because there was no root. Even though Jesus' own family heard his teaching and observed his miracles, in chapter 3 of Mark's gospel, they said he must be out of his mind. You see, his own family probably had an immediate reaction to Jesus. They were excited to be associated and affiliated with him. And yet the more he went and the bolder he taught, the more they became nervous that he was a lunatic. It was just like people with a shallow heart. They understood the gospel even more than the person on the hard path. 
but they walked away from it because there was a stone-cold heart. Some people will stubbornly refuse the gospel. Other people will quickly receive it, but neither will take it seriously enough to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And the call to follow Jesus and enter his kingdom is a call to give him your whole life. The third soil is the distracted heart, the distracted heart of thorns that opposes the gospel. You see, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are what Jesus said will come alongside the good seed and they will choke it out and they will end its fruitfulness and its usefulness. This is a heart that is distracted by other things, that hears the claims of the gospel in Jesus, but has other claims and other interests that are competing and that ultimately will supersede it. The cares of this world are many, from family, where Jesus says in chapter 3 of Mark chapter, Mark chapter 3, he says, who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? It is those who will follow me and obey me. He recognizes that there are some who, because of the concern of family, will not follow him, but yet those who follow him are, in fact, his true family, is what he says there. There are others who will claim to follow Jesus, but because of the deceitfulness of wealth, it will be choked out. Now, he's not saying here that a Christian or a follower of Christ or one of his disciples cannot have money or resources. But he's echoing what Paul will say to Timothy toward the end of his life. Paul says in 1 Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul picks up on what Paul picks up on what Jesus said by warning people that if they get tied up in the concerns of this world and its finances, those are the very concerns that may take them away from Jesus. So Paul concludes in 1 Timothy 6 by saying, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who has richly provides everything for our enjoyment. The teachers of the law were those who were rich in resources in terms of understanding God, and yet they were also distracted by the riches of this world. They wanted the power that came with their position. They wanted political influence that would topple the Romans. They also wanted the riches that were associated with the temple. And I'm sure they wanted personal riches as well. And it is the teachers of the law who opposed Jesus the most. They were the thorny seed, the seed that had been planted, the seed that had produced a plant, and yet it was a barren plant with no seeds or no produce unto harvest. In fact, these same religious teachers in Mark chapter 3 called Jesus someone who was possessed by a demon. They were trying to oppose him any way that they could. They were trying to choke Jesus out because of the concerns of this world and their desire for riches and influence. Yet Jesus warns his disciples that they could be the good seed they could be the good seed. Though there is the hard heart of the path that rejects the gospel and the shallow heart on the rocky ground that abandons the gospel and the distracted heart of thorns that opposes the gospel, Jesus tells his disciples they could be the receptive heart on fertile soil that obeys the gospel. 
the receptive heart on fertile soil that obeys the gospel. As Jesus was ministering to these disciples, these were the same men that he had called in chapter number three to be his personal followers. It says in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority and to drive out demons. Jesus was planting the seed of the word of God in the hearts of these men, knowing that this seed would bear fruit. You see, the parable is not talking about the effectiveness of the seed. The seed is the word of God, which has the power to do what God has designed it to do. It is sharp like a two-edged sword, piercing to our souls, the author of Hebrews says. This passage is about the condition of the soil and the different soils and their response to God. God would plant his seed in the lives of the disciples and 11 of them would bear much fruit So much so that here we are this morning in 2023 in Milton, Georgia, because we have heard the seed of the gospel and it has taken root in our lives. The productivity of the good soil relates to the faithfulness of God the Father who sows the seed of Jesus because only one of those soils will persevere and that is the good soil, the good soil. Now, this is not to say that there are good people that deserve the good news who will give a good response, but it is to say we should give the good news of the gospel openly and freely and that God will reap a a harvest in the hearts and souls of some. A few people will hear the word of Christ and they will develop into mature Christians who reproduce their faith. When someone plants seeds, it's usually unimpressive. Now, we think about it in terms of farmers or gardeners who sometimes are in competitions, and they're very careful in how they cultivate their field or their garden. But when you think about a seed in this context, the farmer casting the seed, since we have boys and girls in here, think about boys and girls who get a packet of seed in kindergarten and bring it home. And they've been given instructions. One seed may be in a pot that's in their kindergarten class, but the other seeds, they can do whatever they want with them. And those seeds may be unimpressive at first because who knows where the kid would put the seed. Some of it may end up in the carpet. Others will end up in actual soil, some on the driveway, wherever. And it's very obscure at first. And yet over time, that seed will take root and it will yield a harvest. As we think about the seed that God has given us, God has given us a seed that is very effective. It is so effective that when planted in good soil, it will bear fruit. But we also have to recognize that when we cast the seed, it's not all going to land on good soil. So we need to be busy planting the soil and see what God raises up out of the ground. As a church, part of our mission and purpose is to take the word of God and to share it with people and to cultivate it into their lives. We do this knowing that the power is in the word. It's not in a program, not in a process or a person, but it is in Jesus. And as we have the opportunity to sow the word of God, we can trust him for the results. 
So boys and girls, I want to challenge you to listen to your Sunday school teachers and listen to your moms and dads and listen when you come to Team Kid and hear the Word of God and allow the Word of God to shape your heart and your mind. Teenagers, I want to challenge you that have heard the Word of God to apply the Word of God and to make it personal, that it's not just your parents' faith, but it becomes your own faith. And parents and grandparents, I want to encourage and challenge you to remain faithful to the Word of God. Don't allow the cares of your children and your families to choke it out. Don't allow your pursuit of comfort and wealth and ease to choke it out, but instead persevere in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and may it bear much fruit. In a church like ours, it can sometimes be difficult to measure results and say, well, what difference are we making? And I would say if we look at it just in terms of mere results, we're looking at the wrong piece. We should be looking at the good seed, and we should be looking for ways to plant and scatter the seed as widely as we should. And then we should pray that the Lord of the harvest would not only send workers, but the Lord of the harvest would raise up a harvest beyond our wildest dream and expectations. There are generations where the gospel seems to multiply exponentially And there are generations where the gospel seems to go dormant. It doesn't matter which generation God calls us to be a part of. He calls us to take the good seed, to be the good soil where it takes root, and to allow the seed to produce the harvest. So let's be a church that plants the word and watch God grow Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we commit this time to you, we see this passage and we're on one hand, just as amused as the people who heard it in the first century. We're amused because it's simple and it's easy to understand. But God, help us not to be amused, but help us instead to be amazed. Help us to see in this passage the power of your word at work through people like us who are broken and frail, people who see in our, in our own lives the hardness of our hearts, We see the stoniness of our hearts. We see the thorniness of our hearts. And yet, God, we see the faithfulness of your seed to bear fruit in our lives over time. So, God, I pray that we would plant the seed of your word in our children and in our teenagers and in our our own lives. And I pray that you would bear a, a harvest that is some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, all beyond our wildest dream and expectation because you are faithful to do your work, your way through your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.